we're actually, the verses that Joshua read are sort of going to be linked to the first few verses in chapter 3. And uh, I could have done a little deeper study on that, but I want to save that for a future time. Turn me down a little, just a tad. I feel a little loud. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, or the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places." This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Now, this is, a, this is going to be a mouthful. And what Paul, has just, you know, what Paul just did is he actually kind of interrupted himself. So Paul just got finished describing at the end of chapter 2 how we as the body of Christ, how Jew and Gentile have been made into one body. We talked about last week how that dividing wall which separated Jew and Gentile, and literally there was the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, and then you had to go up several, several steps to get to the level of the, 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 the Gentile or the, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, that wall was broken down, and the wall in Christ, that Christ broke down that wall, uh, symbolizing the law, symbolizing the differences between the two. The two. And we looked at that last week, and the result was that, that there, is a, there is a unity, there is one body, there's something brand new. It used to be that you had to become Jewish to be a part of God's family, right? You were called a proselyte. Paul says, no, there's something brand new that God is starting to do. In fact, what he does at the end of chapter 2, where he talks about at the end of chapter 2 how we are being made into a temple. No longer is it just Jewish stone, so to speak. It's Jew and Gentile. And it's a temple of God that he is crafting together. It's one family, okay? And so the idea here he talks about is that this is being fitted together by God himself, the foundation, of the cornerstone is Christ, foundation on the holy prophets and the apostles, not either teaching, and that God is doing something new and creating this new family, this new entity. 
What's interesting is that this was something that was not described in the Old Testament. Paul says he calls it a mystery in chapter 3. He says this mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men. Uh, It was hidden, as we'll look at that in a few minutes. Now this is very, for us, we don't really understand the, the, the dynamics of this because we take it for granted, right? We take it for granted that Jew and Gentile, whatever background you are, in Christ, we're all one family, right? But this was revolutionary to the Jewish people. In fact, it took them, I want to say it was 13 years, and the book of Acts, they had a, a council about this, whether or not the, the Gentile had to become circumcised to be welcomed in. It took them a long time to recognize the significance of this. Paul, though, is excited about this. In fact, what he does is, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Where he starts sharing his excitement, and I'm going to develop this point. In fact, I don't know how far we'll get tonight, okay? Just to be fair, we're not going to get through all 13 verses. You know me, I like to go off and just, you know, led by the Lord. But the first thing he says is, for this reason. Why does he say for this reason? What is he doing? He's looking back. What is he looking back at? He says, for this reason, the fact that, that we are now growing into a holy temple in the Lord, we're being fit together into a dwelling of God. We're being fit together. What's the church? What's the church? Okay. I remember my mom taught me this. Okay, you guys remember this? It's the church. Here's a steeple. Open the door. Here's the people, right? I've been to some, yeah, that's, <laughs> here's the people, but here's the church, right? This is the church, right? Uh, I've been to some pretty magnificent churches. Uh, got to visit a couple wonderful ones in England. If you get a chance to go to London, go to St. Paul's Cathedral and the Westminster Abbey, which are, they're, they're huge, they're brilliant, they're architectural wonders, right? And you can, you can just be in awe, right? And you can... And, 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 and then you don't realize that it's also a crypt because they have very, very famous people buried there, like kings and queens, and Sir Isaac Newton's buried there, and Charles Darwin is, Darwin is buried there. I don't know how he somehow got in there. But the point is, those are church buildings, right? And oftentimes we think of a church, we think of the building. Those, those buildings, that, that, the, the stoneway you can walk on, and you watch, and when you watch where you walk, as you might walk on King So-and-So's grave. It's dead. They're stone. They're just stones. They're beautiful. I actually like St. Paul's better because it was better architecture, but they're, they're just stone. That's just a building. God doesn't dwell in the building, right? Paul says, there's something new here. See, God did dwell with his people in the tabernacle, right? Build a tent, you know, and set up a tent, and, and God, here's God with his people, traveling along with his people, right? And then when you had to move the tent, you had to, you know, the priests and the, the sons of Aaron, and all these people had, they had their jobs, you know, somebody gets to carry the poles, you know, somebody gets to, to pound the stakes, and somebody, you know, and and then they had to move God with them, right? And God led them. And they, he was in a tent, and he lived in a tent. And from the outside, the tent looked like, you know, porpoise skins and badger skins and things like that. You know? 
He didn't go to Tommy Bahama and buy the nicest shirt or something, you know. He wore normal things. But inside was the presence of God. Inside this tent was the presence of God. From the distance, it looked like nothing out of the ordinary, right? A bunch of badger skins, porpoise skins, and whatever else it can find. CL can correct me because I know he, he knows the, uh, <laughs> the ins and outs of the temple. And then advanced along to building an actual temple with stones, right? They built stones. And Solomon, you know, David says, I want to build you a house. And God says, well, you're not going to build a house, but your son will. And Solomon built this temple. And of course, Solomon goes over the top, right? Eventually, that temple gets destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar comes in at 586 B.C. and you know, destroys the Jerusalem and this temple and takes away... You guys seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? He didn't, you know, at this... You know, just, why don't we mention that? That's not even corresponding to what I'm talking about here. I just like to throw it in because they had the ark, you know, and here's... The point is this, is that that was destroyed. And then they came back later on. They built another temple. And they saw this other temple, and it wasn't as impressive as this temple that Solomon built. I mean, Solomon built, and, I, and someday we'll do a study on the temples, okay? Because he built a magnificent temple with all kinds of gold, and he had, you know, he went way over the top. I mean, he had, he was way over that. Well, that temple was rebuilt, and then it was rebuilt again by Herod, Herod's temple. Herod's temple was a temple that Jesus would go in, okay? The point is this, is that all those temples were supposed to have the presence of God. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he's the very presence of God, right? Scripture says that he came and he tented himself among us, right? And we behold his glory. Now Paul is saying this, listen, there's a new temple that's being built, it's built of, of Christians, of believers in Christ. It's not a physical temple. It's a body. Now, this is significant because not only is the body made up of, of, of different groups of people, it's a body whose foundation, whose cornerstone is Jesus Christ, right? And the cornerstone was the most important stone of the temple. It is the one, it was the stone that held everything together. I mean, why is that we're in the same room? What do we all have in common? Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings us together. We call each other brother and sister. We care and love, love for one another, perhaps in ways that we don't even in our own flesh and blood. There's a, there's a relationship that we have with one another that, that goes in a different direction than blood does, right? Now, I have family. I have my mom, stepdad here. I have, you know, my mother-in-law here, you know. We have, some of us have other family members here, you know. But the point is, the bond that we have in Christ, it goes deeper than the blood that we share with one another. Because we have been redeemed by Christ. Whatever our past it was, you know, whatever. But Christ is the one that holds us all together. Here's what's interesting. I know if I, were, I, I should have brought my blocks of soap like I had last week. And my car was smelling. I had, I had blocks of soap for illustration. And Jamie guessed it was Irish Spring, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, you know, Costco has this big thing of, you know, I should have brought those back. But you can imagine, here's what God is doing. He is placing members into Christ, and he's building a temple for Christ. He's building a, the living presence. Here's the point. You and I have the Spirit of God living in us, right? The Holy Spirit indwells us. 
But individually, by ourselves, we are not the temple. We are a part of the temple. In other words, the Spirit of God dwells in us individually. He also dwells in us collectively, corporately. Does that make sense? That's why we have to be careful because sometimes you hear people say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. The church would be great if people weren't there. Right? Come on. Church, yeah, some people, right? Ministry would be great except for the people, right? But the point is that Paul's going to, he is, he is actually, when he says, for this reason, what he's doing, he's looking, at that, that, he's looking back at that, and he's, he, is, he is in, okay, he's excited. Because he realizes that God is doing something new that you couldn't have done with stone, that you couldn't have done by digging out of the ground and you, you know, and putting it there. Do you know something? If you go to Jerusalem today, you can go to Temple Mount and you could see some of the stones that were the found, you know, some of the, you know, and that were part of it. And these things are massive. I think, if I read, if I read correctly, that they found, I don't know, one of the foundational stones, and it was like 38 feet long. Okay. I mean, these stones are, these, these are, they're massive. They go, you know, just imagine half this wall is a stone and maybe this high, you know. And they're fitted. And then you're like, how in the world do they get these things here, you know? Must have been aliens, right? Or something like that. <laughs> how do they, and, you, and they're so fitted per- perfectly. You can't fit a credit card. You can't fit a piece of paper between them. They're like fitted exactly, right? And each stone has a purpose to what, that stone is there, for a reason, and it's put together precisely, right? And if that stone isn't there, that means these other stones don't get to be held up. Does that make sense? Paul says in a, in a real sense, spiritually, the body of Christ is like, that, is like that temple. Each one of us is placed by God and has a purpose by God. And the Spirit of God dwells within not just us individually, but us collectively as a church. That's why you have to be careful, because sometimes you're like, well, I'll just go and play Lone Ranger, and I'll just listen to somebody's sermons online and, and their podcasts, but I, I'll just avoid the rest of the people. You know, we live in an age like that, right? We don't live in an age where we're like this. I mean, come on, let's be honest, right? We're, 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 we're together, but we're not together. We're, right? The Spirit of God dwells within us collectively. As, as the church, we are a body. And each member, each piece, each stone, no matter how big, small, wherever you're placed, you're important. Do you know, um, um, I think when they were building, I think when they were building St. Paul's, uh, one of the, I don't know, the sirs or the somebody up, up, up top was, was going around asking the, the, the members, the people who are the stonemasons who are you know, doing their thing, you know, and he said, what are you doing? I'm I'm cutting a piece of stone here. I'm working, I'm working on the stone here, and, and, okay, great, what are you doing? I'm I'm measuring this piece of stone here. Sir, what are you doing? I am part of the process of building St. Paul's Cathedral. He had a different perspective. He understood that this was, though one small piece, it was part of, of a massive thing. 
Each one of us as a Christian is important not just for ourselves, but we're important to one another. Do you know as a, as a body, we're the ones, it's oftentimes where we are blessed by one another's presence. You come, in, you come, into, the, you come into church, you come into fellowship with, with other believers, and they say, hey, how's it going? Now individually, somebody wouldn't have asked you that question. You would have been in your car, upset or something. You come into the presence of believers and they pick up, something's not right. Hey man, how's it going? I don't know, I'm stressed out. I'm not, life's kind of stressed these days, you know. Well, tell me about it. Let's pray about it. Can I pray for you? Now, if I'm a lone ranger Christian, that does not happen, does it? But it be, being in the body, does this make sense? Being in the body of Christ, there's a benefit with that. Where one, one member of the body gets to encourage another member of the body or a group of them and see them through life. I mean, we're not designed to go... Now, if I designed a church, I would, I would do something with this here because I keep tripping, you know? I just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, time out. Actually, I saw a video, look it up on a video, of some pastors with those hoverboards, you know? You know those hoverboards? <laughs> CLC. <laughs> I want to get one of those hoverboards, you know? <laughs> What are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about the church. So Paul's excited. Paul says, he says, for this reason, what reason? I just got through telling you about it, this reason you're collectively one body. I'm excited about this. I'm looking back and I'm like, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Stop right there. Here's what he's going to do. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, for this reason... Now, skip down to verse 14. What does he say in verse 14? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Here's what happens. He's he's about to say something in verse 1. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Hey, good going. Nice. Nice work on the fly there. For this reason, I, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he interrupts himself. He's about to say, verse 14, for this reason I, I bow my knees and I pray for you. For this reason, what reason? You guys just were, were becoming a body, right? And because of that, that truth that I just got finished sharing with you, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, he says at verse 14, he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every uh, family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you strength with power and that Christ would, would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would, be ground, that you would comprehend all this stuff. He's about to pray for them. He's so excited. But then something else happens. He gets caught up in something else. You ever do that? I do it all the time. I start saying something, and then as I'm saying it, something triggers, and we call it a rabbit trail, right? We're about to read Paul's rabbit trail from verses 2 through 13. There's a technical name. I think it's called an anacoluthon. Is that correct, Reverend? It's actually like a parenthesis. It's actually like a, a rabbit trail where you're about to say something and something triggers you where you get off topic and then like, oh yeah, here's what I was going to say. That's what we're doing. You know what that tells me? That Paul is so excited about what he's just 
he just told them, and he's so excited, he, he cannot help but go into what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about this mystery. The fact that we're even together, he says. In fact, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, in fact, the fact that he's, the fact, the fact, the fact, the fact that he says, I, Paul, when he says, I, Paul, he's being doubly emphatic, means he really wants to get this point across. The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship, and this is where his parenthesis, this is where he picks up. See that verse 2? This is where he actually starts his, he gets off track here. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he goes off. What's going on here? Here's what's happening. Where is he at? Where's Paul at? He's in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison, I'm not really excited. Right? I'm wondering why my Lord is not getting me out of here. Right? I'm not super excited about anything. In fact, um, the fact he remembers, the fact he's in, in prison and he thinks about why he's in prison, he says, for the sake of you Gentiles, right? I'm, in, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Here's what happened to Paul. So Paul goes, so let's see, he's in Ephesus for, Ephesus for a time. He leaves Ephesus. He goes to northern Greece, Macedonia, northern Greece, Thessaloniki or Thessalonica and Philippi, that area, right? He's there for a time. He goes to Corinth afterwards. He writes Romans from Corinth. He writes second, I'm getting all these confused. The point is he's making his way down to Corinth, and Corinth is in the southern portion of Greece because the Corinthian church says, hey, we want to help out the Jerusalem church, the church is in Judea because it's really going bad there. It's, it's a famine, they're hungry. We want to be a part of that. So he finally gets there, right? So he finally goes to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he, has, he actually has an Ephesian brother there who's a Gentile hanging around him, and he got falsely accused of bringing that Gentile across that, that dividing wall that we talked about. They assumed that he brought this Ephesian brother across that line, and so they wanted to kill him, right? They wanted to, you know, stop him. So Paul end up, ends up being taken to Caesarea Philippi, which is out, or Caesarea on the coast, rather, on the coast of Mediterranean, and he's there for a time, and he's waiting. He goes to the trial. He appears before different governors and whatnot. And in one of the cases, he appeals uh, his case to Caesar. And when he does that, he, he is then taken to Rome. Now, scholars aren't exactly certain where, which prison he's at. Okay, there's three options. Actually, only two, but one idea is that he was in Ephesus. And the reason is because while he's in Ephesus, there was a riot at the temple. And at the riot at the temple, the, um, the, all the silversmiths, the guys who made statues of Diana, they're upset. Their whole union is upset. Why? Because they're all becoming Christian, which means they're not buying their little merchandise anymore. So they have this revolt, and they want to, you know, take Paul. Well, it says, Luke says he leaves Ephesus. He says he goes to prison. So throw out, he's not, in, he's not in Ephesus. Perhaps he's in Caesarea on the, on the ocean. Been there, nice view. Perhaps he's there, and he's writing to the Ephesians to encourage them. More likely, he is in Rome. It's in Rome where he's going to be waiting for his accusers to come 
and have it out with, in front of Caesar. Nero is his name. Caesar Nero, of course, what happens is that Paul actually eventually gets executed later on. He's in prison. He's in Rome. They're over here. Most of the churches he's planted are over here, right? He has a pastor's heart. In fact, he's so concerned about them that he writes this letter. Which is interesting because as, as, as Paul is not the most eloquent man, he is not one that, that forms his sermons in perfect balance with all illustrations and points and the way you're supposed to do, right? He doesn't follow those rules because he's more concerned about where they're at. Guess what? They've heard that he's in prison. Now, in their mind, they're thinking, what's going on? Why is he in prison? This is the man of God. This is, you know. But he wants to encourage them from prison. Paul wants to encourage the, the, the Ephesian church from, while he's in prison, he wants to encourage them. Do you ever have a hard time encouraging somebody else when you're going through a hard time? When you're going through a hard time, all you think about is what? Me, 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 me. Don't bug me because I'm going through my troubles, right? Going, coming to work, you know? How's it going, John? Uh, it's, it's okay. Shut my door, you know? Don't talk to me, right? Where's my coffee? You know, nobody gets my coffee. I get my own coffee. Just, to, you know, just, just full clarity. I don't expect anyone to get my coffee for me. They've offered. I said, no, no, no. I don't want to do that. But there's times I come into work, and I'm not having a good morning, let's say. I'm thinking about me, right? I'm, I'm upset at something. I'm in a bad mood. I haven't, I, whatever. Sharon didn't hug me the night before. I don't know. <laughs> and so I come in, and I have a bad mood. And so if I have a bad mood, and I'm having a bad day, that means I'm not really encouraging. I'm not really thinking about how good your day is. I'm thinking about me. Have you been there? Is it? Here's Paul in prison. He's in prison, and guess what he's doing? He's encouraging somebody else. Paul, what? what? I, okay, if I'm going to prison, now oh, come on. What, who is Paul? What's his job? He's what? Evangelist? He's evangelist. What else? Missionary? Apostle? Who is the apostle to? The Gentiles. Actually, when he meets, when, here's what happens is, is he eventually, when he first meets Jesus and Jesus says, hey, you know, you know, <laughs> hey, Saul, you're going the wrong way and I'm Jesus and it's a no-win situation, brother. You're going to have to follow me, right? Great, Lord, okay. So here's what happens. He starts going and he goes to the Jews first. And after a while, the Jews are like, we don't want to hear that. So he says, okay, I'm, forget about it. I'm going to the Gentiles. Because this is good news for Gentiles, especially. He's a missionary to the Gentiles. Now, if he's like me, or we're like him, we have a five-year plan all set, Right? I want to reach this country and this city and this people and that pe- people, and we have it all laid out, right? Maybe some of us don't, but that's how I'm thinking. If I'm the mission, hey, I'm, I'm having on my business card. I don't have, 
I don't have a business card. Just, by the way, I wish I did. Let's pretend this is a, this Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. How you doing? Right? And in my mind, I have a website. I've got a plan, a strategic plan. I got it all laid out, right? I know who I'm going to reach in one year. I have goals every year, right? And I have it all laid out. We're going to win the Lord. We're going to win the world for, for Christ, right? The Gentiles for Christ. Is being in prison part of that? Is even is it in that business plan? Is that in your business plan when you decide to? No. You want to reach the Gentiles? Go to prison. So here's Paul. Now, if I were Paul, I'd be sitting there in prison thinking, what, what did I miss? Lord, you told me. You, 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 I heard from you, right? And you start looking at your devotionals. I Certainly, I heard from God. You call up your friend, CL. <laughs> Have I heard from God? <laughs> CL would have been on Paul's speed dial too. But <laughs> because in our minds, what it takes to reach other people doesn't involve going to prison. In fact, in our minds, what, reach, what means reaching people is actually no problems at all, right? You become a Christian? Hey, sign up today. Worry-free worry life, right? Healthy, wealthy, wise, right? How many of you guys bought into that nonsense? It's still being sold. No, Jesus tells when, when Paul first gets converted and he goes to He's on his way to Damascus, you know, and he's, you know, he's going to arrest people. And he, and he goes to uh, Ananias, right? Ananias, go to, to Straight Street. A man named Saul, he's praying, which you hint that he's actually the first time he's ever prayed in his life. Go to him, and you'll pray for him, and his eyes will be undone, right? He'll be able to see. Lord, I've heard what he's done to your disciples. Go for... What does he say? What chapter is that in? Look what it says. Look at Acts. Help me out here. Acts. Go to Acts. Oh boy. I should know this, right? But I I can't think of my feet right now. What chapter is it? Chapter 9? Okay. Look at what he says. This wasn't in the plans here, but... Acts 9. He says... uh, Oh yeah. Verse 16, verse 12, 15. But, Lord, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must what? Suffer, Suffer for my name's sake. Oops. That's, not, that's usually in the fine print, we think. In other words, when you follow Christ, there's no guarantee that life's going to be easy. When you follow Christ, there's, there's no guarantee that, that, that the pathways will be clear to you, that which way to go will be clear to you. Sometimes well, God will be silent, and you don't know which way to go. And you're like, Lord, which way? And you're like, okay, Lord, help me out. Can you at least give me a voice? How many of you guys have prayed for a voice before? Am I the only one? <laughs> you know? 
Because you're like, Lord, which way? Do I go this way or that way? And God's silent. And God doesn't always give us His plans ahead of time, right? What's the point? The point is this, is that every step we take is a step of faith, right? Which means we are, are often, there's a, there's a balance between being certain and uncertain, right? We hate the uncertainty, don't we? Sometimes Sharon likes to record the ball games. Like she always likes to be called the board, ball games. And her and I, and we're different. Um, we'll get home, and let's say it's baseball. Let's not talk about football today. Yes. <laughs> and she'll want to sit there and watch the whole game. The whole thing's recorded on the re- recorder, and she wants to ho- watch the whole game. Don't she want to know who won? See, I want to find out who won so I can see, is it worth my time to sit there? Right? So I'll go on Twitter or Facebook, and some of us like to post the scores during the game, right? (laughs) I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) Some of us like to post the scores before the game. So I'll do that. (laughs) And I'll say... Then I'll go upstairs if it's worth, or I'll stay down there to see who won. That's what we want from God. Lord, show us who wins the game. Show us the way it's going to go so I can at least see if it's wasting my time. It's not a waste of your time in the Lord, right? Because ultimately what happens is this. The, the destination isn't always the, the objective. The, the objective is, will I walk in faith following Christ no matter if I see him or not? We walk by faith, not by sight. How is Paul able to have this, this perspective? I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, I'm in prison, yet I'm excited. I'm obviously not going to finish tonight. I'll probably get through one point. Here's what happens. Paul has a, pers- a divine perspective he has a divine perspective because he knows what Christ has called him to do. He realizes that ultimately the Lord is the Lord, right? See, sometimes we think we can make decisions that take us out of the Lord's control, right? Oh, I guess you went off the charts there, son. I guess you're on your own. Can't help you there. It wasn't in my, my category. No. As long as we're, we're following Him by faith, he is able to ultimately bring us to what he wants. Now, here's what happens. We want to sit in prison and have the perspective that says, Lord, I am useless here. I'm in prison, right? They don't even have internet in prison, do they? Or maybe they do. I'm in prison. Lord, you call me to reach the Gentiles, and I'm here. I'm stuck. And I'm frustrated, right? My life is going nowhere. I can't see any way out. Some plan this is God, Right? How can I be used to reach the Gentiles from the prison walls in Rome? Have you guys ever feel like that before? Feel like you're in prison? Like you're in a place that you're useless to God? There's nothing you can do? Because in your mind you envision you envisioned flowers and trees and happy birds <laughs> and things like that. You envision all the, the flowery stuff. You know, it's all, oh, honey, 
how are you doing today? Do you want, can I make you some coffee? You know, you envision that, right? Real life is you wake up and you're like, your breath stinks. And how come they're not paying you? And how come, you can, how come that, that person's not getting back? You're out of work and all this kind of stuff. And you're in prison. You feel like, I'm stuck. And I have all these vision dreams that God's given me and they're not being done because I'm stuck here, right? So what do you do when you're stuck? <clears throat> God has you a place where you can't budge, you can't move. I guess, I'm, I guess we're stuck here. Let's make the most of it then. What does Paul do? Do you know it's from prison he writes his best letters? And they're all, okay, let's clarify that. They're all good letters, right? <laughs> it is from prison that he writes, he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. I can't go to them, but I can encourage them somehow. I can write them letters. Nowadays, they would say, I would text them. This is their Facebook page. But I can encourage them. Why? Because, because here's the truth. Write this down. <clears throat> your present predicament has no effect on your privileged position. <clears throat> your present predicament, where you are, has no effect on the position that you have in Christ or the ability you have in order to reach people for Christ. Does that make sense? Christ... Paul had the, had the perspective that no matter where he was at, whether he was stuck in prison, he could still be useful to God, for God. In fact, later on it talks about how the whole Praetorian Guard, uh, the, all the, the Caesar's guards were becoming believers. In fact, while he's writing this letter, do you know that he's, oh, he's in house arrest technically? Do you know he's writing this letter? He has a Roman soldier chained to him. Now, you talk about having a captive audience. You're going to listen to me recite these words. In fact, here's what happens. Is that Paul wouldn't write the letter himself. He had a, a, a secretary. He would dictate to. So while Paul's dictating this letter, for this reason, I, Paul, for the sake of you Gentiles, and he gets caught up in this thought, He's so excited, and his secretary is like, whoa, tangent here. Now, where, are you, where are you going with this? Okay, His secretary is listening. The Roman soldier is listening as well. His perspective is different. I can reach, you know, can I bring up your, your dad and your mom? Um, I remember um, Pastor Brum talk about, share how you guys, they didn't feel very useful after leaving their previous ministry and they were in a place where, okay, we're stuck. We're in a prison, basically. And not literally, but felt useless. How can God use us? And then they started praying for people. And your mom and dad prayed for people every single day. And, they, and knowing how consistent your whole family prays, I, probably hundreds of people have been prayed for over the years. And to be, on that, to be in that book, your mom's book, was like being in the book of life. And here they are praying. And we, we can't do much, but we can pray. And their prayers have in fact impacted so many people. Your present predicament doesn't have any, any power. It doesn't have any effect on your privileged position. Because God can use you wherever you're at. Now, mind you, 
where Paul's at in prison is not his final destination. It's a stopping ground. It's a holding ground. But he had the perspective. I can, God says, sit down and write. Maybe you're not where you want to be spiritually. Maybe your family's not where you want it to be. Maybe your whole five-year, ten-year plan is really out the door. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Let's say it again. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I know the plans that I have. I know the plans that I have for you. They're his plans. And ultimately, you really want his plans to be done. And so you say, Lord, give me your perspective on where you have me now. Help me to follow you despite the circumstances. Let's stop here and pray because I'm out of time and we will continue on with his rabbit trail next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes, Lord, you allow us to be in situations and circumstances that we did not foresee and that for some reason we feel stuck in, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a divine perspective that no matter where you have us, you can still use us. That your plans will come to fruition. Lord, help us to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul, God. That just as he was in prison, he still had an audience, Lord, watching him, how he's handling the suffering, how he's handling the situation he's in. Lord, help us to understand that and walk in that perspective, Lord that ultimately our life is in your hands. Our, our, the plans that you have for us will be accomplished by you in your time and in your way. And we yield to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Should we stand? Let's stand. Yeah? No? Sure. Oh, whatever you want. Oh, sorry.